It was a fine and pleasant day when Nadia and Frank set sail across the seven seas. But on a dark and stormy night, the ship was cast upon the reefs of the Island of Brilliant. Everything is brilliant on the Island of Brilliant. In a flash, we put up our hammocks and settled down to read. Welcome ashore. This is the Island of Brilliant. The podcast that treasures all that's brilliant in children's fiction. Who's playing that ukulele, Frank? That is Lonesome Dave and his ukulele oof. Okay. They are the best band in the world and they're here to keep us company while we read in our hammocks. That's great. Do they have a boat? (laughs) No, they they live here. They were always here. Oh. (laughs) They're the indigenous inhabitants of the (laughs) island of Brilliant. And that's why it's called the Island of Brilliant, because they're so brilliant. (laughs) I'm happy to be here and everything, but I was just wondering about the whole leaving the island thing. Is that something we can do? (laughs) We are allowed to leave the island. Mm. When we've read all these books. Okay. And chosen the very best ones for other people to read. Do any of these books float? Can they be put together to create (laughs) a massive floating device? I'm just interested. I'm happy about the books, but I am also just wondering. It's it's a problem, isn't it? Because we're not going to make a signal fire out of books. No, I guess not. And we're certainly not going to drop our books in the the bath. No. Or anything like that. So so I think we've just got to wait for someone to... To come We've and find just got us. a handout. We've just got a handout here. At least, as you say, we have a huge pile of children's books. Which, we have a massive pile of children's yeah. books. And we have hammocks. But that's, that's crucial as well. Though they're not good for your back. But we can get up every now and then and do some Pilates, can't we? We have a little walk around. Have a yeah, little we get, Well, there's the Isle of Brilliant Gym. Is there? And dance studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we go down to the Isle of Brilliant dance studio and have a little workout. Yeah, you've not told me about that before. All right, great. There's a lot to explore. This island is truly brilliant, Frank. Everything on the island of Brilliant is brilliant. I suppose we should probably talk about the books. What do you reckon? I think so. So, Frank, here we are on the island. What are you reading at the moment? I have been reading The Magician's Elephant by Kate de Camillo, and I have a very strange history with Kate de Camillo. She's a massive-selling American author. Uh, huge numbers of prizes to her name, but I have a kind of antagonistic relationship with her. Two reasons. One, when my little boy was six, I took him to see The Tale of Despero, which is adapted from a classic novel by Kate de Camillo, mm-hmm. thinking this would be a lovely little fable about a mouse. Oh. And in fact, he found it absolutely terrifying. Okay. I don't think he... I don't think he'd come across talking vermin before, and he was just <laughs> horrified. But I ended up sitting in the corridor of the multiplex on the horrible carpet, trying to comfort him, but unable to leave because his mates were still in the cinema. So having a duty of charge to these other kids who were just munching Haribo. Then I came across The Magician's Elephant, and I was halfway through writing a book called The Wonder Brothers, mm-hmm. which is about magicians. In the book I was writing, I had a, an elephant and some nuns. And lo and behold, in The Magician's Elephant, there's a magician, an elephant, and some nuns. No. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, no. where you're writing a book and you find that someone else is already writing the same book. 
So I had to not read The Magician's Elephant. Uh, but I've read it now that I've finished the book. And a reason that I've picked it is that it's also a movie. Is it? And it's quite a big budget movie and it's scoring very highly on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. So you were doing a book about magicians and nuns. This is about magicians and nuns. Was there much plot crossover? Did you do the same nun joke? First of all, I I was so horrified that I took my elephant out. Oh, no. Yeah, so the elephant's not there anymore. And partly, I think my publisher was relieved by that because she felt that there was a duty of care towards elephants. Yeah. And in The Magician's Elephant by Kate DiCamillo, she's very careless of the elephants. That elephant falls through a roof. When was it written, please? It was written in about 2009, I think. And the elephant falls through the roof onto the stage. And I I found myself worrying about the elephant and what was going to become of the elephant because the elephant's just a plot device in this book. Oh, really? See, I'm already really concerned about the elephant because as soon as you say magician and elephant, I'm back. I was concerned about the elephant. And it's Dumbo and I'm feeling quite traumatised because I'm immediately going back to Dumbo. So does this book, will it heal my trauma in any way or will it make it worse? (laughs) I think so. I mean... In the book, you'll become less concerned about the elephant because it's not really about the okay. elephant. The elephant, the boy in the story, the book starts with him going to see a fortune teller who tells him that he will find his lost sister if he follows the elephant and there's no elephant mm. in town. And then an elephant falls through the ceiling of a, of, of a theatre unexpectedly. Even the magician's not expecting oh. it. So the, the prophecy starts to come true and he tries to find his lost sister with the elephant. And Kate to Camillo, so I've not read Kate to Camillo before. And I wanted to read it because she's so successful and so popular. I wanted to see what she had. And I think one of the things that she's got that I'm really impressed by is she just jumps into storyland mm. really uninhibitedly. So this book sets, is, takes place in a fictitious town and there's elephants and, and old soldiers and it feels like Hans Anderson mm. from the get-go. There's no magic wardrobe to get you there. There's no kind of secret passageway. It's just straight in. I'm going to read you the first page. Mm -hmm. At the end of the century before last, in the market square of the city of Baltese, stood a boy with a hat on his head and a coin in his hand. His name was Peter Augustus Duchesne, and the coin that he held did not belong to him, but was the property of his guardian, an old soldier named Vinla Lutz, who had sent the boy to the market for fish and bread. So I'm straight in. Wow. That's, you know... See, I could write those sentences, but I would never have the neck to write those sentences. I was going to say... No brass neck. That's confidence, isn't it? I always struggle with that. I always struggle with, oh, how do we contextualise this? How do we lead the reader by the hand through into this world? Into that world. She hasn't worried about it. She's like, boom, you're here. We're in the world. Come on. And it's once upon a time. And that's it. You know, so I love the gusto and the confidence of that. I've watched the film Mm. and the film weirdly is more hesitant than that. The film's got a little prelude and explains why there's magic and why there's dreams. And it's got that kind of Netflix slash Disney Mm. thing of like, this is a film about, you know, you have to believe. And in Kate and Camillo's hands, it's just like, yeah, you've got to believe. It's just bang. Yeah, you're in there. So I really, really admire that. It's very, very readable. Anyone would kind of be enchanted by this, I think. Um, yeah, it's good. I'm going to give book. that a go because I'm always intrigued by, I think, writing about magic 
is one of the hardest things to write about. Yeah, and she's not explained the magic. Mm. Because it's not, in a way, it's not magic. It's like she's just taking you straight to that world, mm. which is the world of the magic tinderbox or the little mermaid or any of those great great stories where you know okay. it's the same equipment isn't it there's always an old soldier there's always a town that's sort of somewhere mm. but not it's in this world but you can't get to it yeah and yeah it's it's really got gusto and it's very enchanting the only thing about the the actual book that i didn't quite like which is i feel bad saying it were the illustrations by Yoko Tanaka. They're incredibly beautiful illustrations. Mm. I would love to own any of them. I would frame it and put it on my wall. They're just proper works of art. But they're, they're very different in tone from the book. They're a bit gloomy. They're a bit right. serious. Yeah. There's a lot of melancholy. Yoko Tanaka's kind of really homed in on the fields mm. rather than the adventure. Right. And there's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of swashbuckling and magic and elephants. Sounds fantastic. And, and the movie, it's interesting. It's if only I could watch movies on the island of Brilliant, but we've just got too many books to read, Frank. And also, we can't get <laughs> Netflix because we don't have any Wi-Fi or signal. Oh, it's annoying, I hear, isn't it? I hear that the movie is interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've been told. Well, somebody sent a, a printout of the Rotten Tomatoes reviews in a bottle and it floated up <laughs> in Brilliant Bay <laughs> just before this podcast started. Oh, brilliant. So, Nadia, what's been keeping you swinging in your hammock? Ah, well, uh, the book that's been keeping me from the gym uh, has been Tiger (laughs) by S.F. Saeed, which... Now, look, I've not... I'll be honest, I've not completely finished it yet. But that's good. That means you're free of any possibility of spoiler. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I haven't really read anything about it, so I've come into it quite blind. I wasn't entirely sure what to expect. I loved the outlaw Varjak Poor. Um, I don't know if you know that book. I read that book. I absolutely love that book. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I read that book with my son. And its sequel. Yes, but that Varjak Poor holds a special place in my heart because it was the book that my son's class were reading when the first lockdown happened. So it really uh. sticks in my mind because we were all suddenly getting used to homeschooling and that kind of thing. And I look back and I think there aren't many books that could have really kept everyone. You know, such a rocky time. But all the kids were there, keen as mustard, uh, waiting to hear what happened. Because yeah. SF Said is blessed with a kind of authoritative, his voice is authoritative, yet at the same time does that crucial thing of not talking down to young readers I think what really strikes me about him and I know it takes him a long long time to write his books Mm. like I think it's like nine years to write this one yeah is his style is absolutely limpid you don't come across any fine writing in there by fine writing I mean in a bad way you know that kind of fluffy Mm. showy off writing I don't know if you've got it there but if you read the opening two sentences of that book it's so bang this is it I have it right here do you know what I mean it's it's so authoritative, as, I read, as you said. Shall I read those sentences? Yeah, go on. Okay, so this is how Tiger opens. It happened in the 21st century when London was still the capital of an empire and the empire still ruled the world. Wow. I mean, that's, like, as far as world building goes, that's like you're straight in there. Those two sentences are like the wardrobe door. You know, you're straight into that world. 
it's unraveling in such an unusual way. I mean, I know you know what happens, Frank, but for me at the, at the minute where I am in the middle of this story, it's unraveling in such peculiar ways. And he's using this straightforward but evocative language to kind of get across massive concepts that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I think he's very easy to read because it's so plain, but actually quite difficult fully to understand and you're left thinking about the book a long time afterwards. Definitely. I've been going back and rereading passages over and over again just to kind of let it settle. So I'll give a, a brief sketch of the plot so far. Hang on, it starts... It start, I'm just... I'm just Fran, I can't help noticing it started to rain on the island. Yeah, this, yeah. We're getting a lot of sound off the uh, we are, coconut we trees are getting there. Quite, we go to our shelter? Let's, let's just go and stand under uh, this tarpaulin for a second. Yeah. Let's stand under this tarp. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, as I was saying... This is the island of brilliant bicycle sheds we're standing in now. <laughs> brilliant bicycle sheds and tarpaulin. Yeah. Anyway, so the plot of Tydra, sketching it out very roughly. We meet, as I say, we're, we're in kind of alternative reality. And the terrifying thing is it's really well-rooted in our world as we would recognise. So we're in Soho in London, um, but the empire is still a thing. There's an emperor. We meet a young boy called Adam. He's dark-skinned. He's a foreigner. And he works for his parents. He's kind of the delivery boy for his parents' business. So through his eyes, we explore this um, strange new world we're in and he stumbles across he's running away from an attacker one afternoon and he stumbles across a massive cat no it's not really a massive cat it is indeed a tiger but i don't want to say too much more about the tiger i mean it's not giving it away to say that there is a tiger of sorts in the book is it no 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 no, no. and this tiger has not come for tea <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I really wanted to no, say that. This is Tiger with a Y. You need to say it's Tiger with a Y. It, it is Tiger with a Y. And you can't... I don't want to say too much about it because, as I say, it's unravelling in such a peculiar way. At the moment, I'm wrestling... SF Said is explaining to me, and, and I guess any other child reader, essentially what it means to be human. It's astonishing. He's grappling with huge concepts like identity and, as I say, what it is to be human and empathy... I also feel this book should maybe be read in every year six class because there's so many jumping yeah. off points from here in terms of talking about history of empire and politics and all of these sorts of things. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think the thing is, it is a strange world. It is a very other world. But it's, it's a, a strangeness that's made out of things that are very familiar, either from history. You know, like you said, this is set in Soho in London. And there's a big deal about a menagerie. Mm -hmm. So it's all that kind of heritage there. But it's also familiar from our, the politics of our world. So, you know, there are certain areas in the city where he can't go because of who he is, mm -hmm. which, which is very like, you know, maybe what's happening in Palestine or somewhere like that. You know, you mustn't cross. You've got to go through this mm -hmm. border within your own city. Um, that, so that was kind of very gripping. It's very, very, very immediate. I mean... If, I, I worry that when we start talking about this, we'll start getting quite highfalutin about it. And I've got to say, it's an easy read in a lot of ways. It's like, you could really imagine this as a great graphic novel. Oh, yeah, definitely. Partly because it's got this incredible image of the tiger, which is a huge tiger with a Y. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's it's very, very immediate. It's very accessible. But it's also got these huge, huge ideas. And he's not afraid of borrowing. You know, so there's a lot of Arabian Nights in there. Yes. But at the same time, you know, it's not a giveaway given the title to say that. And the fact that it's Soho to say that it's very, very William Blake as well. You know, this is the Tiger Tiger Burning Bright. It is one of the most absorbing books uh, I have read in recent times. So, Frank, here's a weird thing. Okay, I've just found this shell washed up on the beach and I've picked it up, I've put it to my ear and I just thought I'd hear the ocean like you normally do, but just... Mm-hmm. Hit, look, here. Put the shell to your ear. Just tell me, do you hear what I hear? Hi, Nadia and Frank. I've heard that you've been stranded on a desert island. I hope you're going to get this message. I'm just going to send it to you and hope for the best. Oh, my days. Yeah? I can hear yes. Emily Drabble from yes. Book Trust, the yes. DN of Children's Literary Critics. Yes, Amazing. that's exactly what I heard. <laughs> Fantastically convenient shell. Let's all listen see everything on brilliant island is brilliant everything on brilliant island is brilliant even the shells let's take a closer listen to emily drabble's brilliant shell i really want to tell you some really important stuff about books children's books i've got five books i desperately need to recommend to you obviously i can't see you in person so i'm just sending you this message Um, I'm going to try and get the books to you by hot air balloon. But I'm hoping that we can get a drop off and actually get the books to you um, dropping from the sky. So look out for a parcel of books coming from the sky. That's going to be from me. So the first book I want to tell you about is Captain Lou Roll. It's by Matt Carr. He wrote and illustrated the book and it's published by Farshaw. Now this book makes me laugh so much. So Captain Lou Roll is a come alive toilet roll. She is ready for adventure, but she doesn't get many opportunities for adventure because she lives in a really dull toilet under the stairs. And um, she's got two best friends, Ray the Spray and Barbara Bogbrush. They're also really bored. But then they manage to get upstairs to the more interesting bathroom where there's a toilet troll causing havoc. He's turned the whole house bright green and everything starts unravelling. Oh, what an adventure. And what a great heroine Captain Lou Roll is. You're going to love this book. Um, I hope it doesn't make you think too much about toilets. You probably don't really have any toilets there. So maybe it's going to make you feel a bit nostalgic, but I think you're going to like the book. The next book I want to tell you about is Candy Gourlay's Wild Song. It's published by David Fickling Books. This is a brilliant book. It's set in the same world as Candy's book, Bone Talk, which I really loved. This one starts off in the mountains of the Philippines, just like Bone Talk with the Bone Talk tribe. Um, But this story is the story of Luki. It's in 1904. Luki wants to be a warrior. She's an amazing hunter, but she has to hide all her skills because girls aren't allowed to hunt. And now the tribal elders want her to become a wife and marry her best friend, Samcad. Um, but she doesn't, she likes him, but she doesn't want to do that. She just wants to be free. So she su- decides to go to America to be part of the World Fair in St. Louis. She kind of gets trapped. She's made to perform, all of them are, like serious rituals as entertainment. 
Um, and then she realises her people are not seen as equals coming together to be part of the fair, but they're kind of exhibits. And the whole thing is fascinating. You learn so much. It's also a brilliant story. I mean, Candy Gourlay is just a brilliant writer. And I think you'll really love this book. And I just so recommend you to read it. It's really good. Now I want to tell you about a book. I think this is a perfect book to read on a desert island. The Storm Swimmer by Claire Weze, published by Bloomsbury. And it's all kind of like set in the sea and on the beach. And I think you're going to really relate to this one, Frank and Nadia. This is about Ginka. She is actually from London, but then she ends up going to stay with her parents at the seaside. You never quite find out why, but her parents are in some sort of financial trouble. She's missing everyone so much, but she meets this really odd boy called Perry who lives in the sea. He swims with dolphins. He speaks a kind of weird, bubbly language. It's, it tries to become part of the human world, but gets really ill. Um, how can she sort it out? It's just such a lyrical tale, all about being brave, being out of your comfort zone. And I feel like it's a really good one for you on your island. Oh, this book blew me away. I'm really excited for you to read this one. It's called Mia and the Lightcasters. And it's by a brand new author called Janelle McCurdy, published by Faber. And it's got lovely illustrations by Anna Tess as well. Janelle McCurdy is a very young, fun author. She's a gamer girl. And this book is very much like playing a video game and I think it's really good. It's about a 12 year old girl called Mia who lives in the city of Nubis which is this amazing city um, in the light of the forever moon. It's always dark. She wants to be an Umbra tamer. Umbras are like these weird mythical beasts but then Mia's parents get captured and caged and it's her job to go and get her grandparents at, in, the ste in Stella, the city of light and she must face the nightmare planes. She must defy the Reaper King. She must look after her brother. She must tame and she must find an Umbra. And she must find out who are the mysterious light casters. Is she connected to them? This is a great story. It's so refreshing to find a sci-fi fantasy book where all the heroes are children of colour too, which feels quite rare still. And I just love it. love this book so much. So you've got to read this one. Now, another picture book I need to tell you about desperately. It's called I Really, Really Need a Wee by Carl Newson and illustrated by Duncan Beattie. It's published by Little Tiger. And this book is just absolutely brilliant. This is all about a little, it's a lemur, I think, weird little creature who really, really needs a wee and he can't find anywhere to go and is constantly hearing waterfalls and other things that make him need a wee even more he goes behind a bush and some, a bear is already there he just can't find anywhere to have a wee then finally he does get a wee and then he starts thinking a lot more about how you should always do a wee if you possibly can and then he gets kind of caught short in another way so oh it's quite a tense book very funny so that's all my recommendations 
I really hope you are going to get some reading done when you're on the island. That's going to make time go much more quickly until you're rescued, hopefully, although it doesn't seem like there's much hope of you being rescued. But I hope that, you know, that you're going to get these books and you're going to really enjoy them. It's going to really make you laugh. I personally can't think of anything nicer than being on a desert island reading children's books. So I'm sure you're going to feel the same as me about that. I know you too and I know how much you love your children's books. Okay, bye guys. Oh, that was a oh, that's added a few more books to my list, Frank. From Emily there. Yeah, fantastic. And what a convenient shell. What a convenient shell. I'm going to just pop that back down on this brilliant stretch of sand, and I'm going to look up and gaze over the horizon. At the wide blue sky. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on a tickety boo. <laughs> what, if I may say, the jiggins <laughs> is that? Is it a bird? <laughs> Is it a plane? Is it, in no, fact, a dragon? <laughs> it's obviously a dragon. How can you not oh. know that that's a dragon? Oh, I wasn't expecting this. Who's on the back of the dragon? Who would ride in to Brilliant Island on a dragon? Could only be one person. It could only be. It is the mother of dragons, the Dowager <laughs> Children's Laureate, <laughs> Lady Cressida. To be known as the Queen of Dragons, please. Oh, Queen of Dragons. And not a dowager. <laughs> I mean, the present, the flipping reigning Queen of Dragons. I'm sorry, Frank. Cressida, this is Cressida. We're stuck on the. Do you have any food or an iPad? We've been stuck on this island for ages. Frank says we just have to read books. But I'm looking oh, for some cola bottles. Darling, Frank. Yes. The thing is, I am so an expert on this because the Isle of Burke is a real place and I spent most of my childhood, well, half of my childhood, on said island. So I am well aware. And if you don't have any telly, if you're on a little island for the whole summer with no telly, yeah, yeah, you do that, you know, that's what you do. You read books and, you know, um, yeah, make things up and write your own stories and make up your own dragons. But it's That's true, what isn't you it? Do, guys. Boredom, boredom is the compost of imagination, and we're kind of robbing our children of boredom at the moment by giving them so much distraction. Do you mean they? Do yeah. you mean that children have become imagination worms? Yeah. <laughs> I th- is that what you mean? I, th- <laughs> I love that thought. I think one of the attractions of, of books about you know wild tigers and you know it, the tiger symbolises something really rather similar to the dragon, which is is our hankering, our sense that we have lost something. I mean, my childhood spent, it was the 1970s. Mm. The past is another country. They do things differently there. <laughs> and you didn't have to be on a little uninhabited island dropped off by a local boatman and picked up again two weeks later like we were. Wow. Um, or, or spend the whole summer, by the time I was nine, to be spending your whole time unsupervised. I mean, it was the 1970s and wherever you were, yeah. Frank, this will... Nadia, you're too young for this, but Frank, you must admit... Oh, no, you know, I mean, Oh, my I, goodness, we all... Every single year, I mean, without exception, we went on holiday to a tiny village just beside Clongochlan and Sundays <laughs> in Wales in the <laughs> 70s, nothing was moving including the fingers on the face of the clock. <laughs> it was oh, just wow. like yeah. everything was stasis. Oh, rain was yeah. moving, but apart from that. Yeah. Even the rest of your life, actually, even the time that I was in London, the baby was put out 
to have their nap in the oh, front yeah. garden. You know, it was like fresh air is good for you. No, nobody, nobody thought. You know, somebody might nick the baby. You know, that was that was. Or just, it might snow. Or it might snow, and I think we have lost something with the wild childhoods going. Mm. What I try and make the dragons represent: if you don't let children play unsupervised in mm. nature, you know that you lose that connection. That makes them understand how important nature is yeah I I mean I was lucky enough I grew up in a very boring I grew up in the West Midlands in the 80s it was pretty boring but I was still you know I was still allowed to sort of tramp around woods and all the rest of it but for lots of kids who maybe aren't near those sorts of spaces who maybe don't have a park near them even it's getting harder and harder and so I think it's and also even aside from where you're growing up or what kind of childhood you're having just risk taking in general understandably Mm. with the last few years we've had children I wonder if children are quite risk averse just naturally I mean I could only speak from experience I've got a 10 year old and you know there were moments in lockdown where we'd go near a park and his hand would clench mine in fear oh my goodness darling and I know that's common I know that was a common thing for many kids so that's why it's kind of amazing when you read books like Tidal or even you know or to, or to read your amazing books Trester where kind of you can run wild and free I can't imagine what it must have been like to grow up on an island I mean it sounds terrifying and brilliant <laughs> you summed it up <laughs> what was the scariest what was the scariest time you ever had so many hard to even pick one out because um, my dad is stoic the vast basically he's not <laughs> you know. oh I love him I know I love him that lovely lovely mixture I adored my dad but that lovely mixture of pom- pomposity and incompetence <laughs> <laughs> which is so touching me. But, yes I know so many dads all over oh. the you know all over the country I think that's why they took stoic to that heart but also he was he was fearless he did have a very wild side my dad Mm. and I was much more anxious and so my goodness I mean the storms anybody who's ever been out in a small boat in a storm will know the majesty of nature and the sheer terror of how big that storm is and how how wild it is and how we really need to respect nature. I mean, it's, it was terrifying. And I remember, I mean, one of my early, earliest members, age nine, my dad was a chairman of the RSPB, so he was mad keen on birds, which is partly why we were there. And the dragons really are birds, you know, because no bird was just a bird. It was like a greater spotted <laughs> northern sheer, very rare for these parts. And I remember, you know, I was on the island with my dad on, you know, my own, which was unusual about nine, he was trying to investigate a buzzard's nest, which he thought might be a a white-tailed sea eagle. And so he said, hang on to my ankles as I dangle over this cliff. What? You to check whether they're flipping nests. And I remember holding on into the face of this howling gale, (gasps) literally next stop America. This is wild (laughs) stuff. And I remember very consciously the feeling of, I mean, how am I related to this person? I mean, I love this person. I admire him, but I just think he is completely crazy. How old were and you? I was, nine? I was about nine. <laughs> I don't um, know what to say. Cressida, I've got to offer you a coconut. 
to, you know, while you kind of yes, we, we so process that. I'm so sorry. sorry. Sit down. I don't know where where are your manners, Nadia. I'm so well. <laughs> I, I I wanted to ask if I could touch the dragon while we were chatting, and with the dragon like a coconut while we're here. Oh, dragons are quite fussy. Oh, really? You're about, um, about there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like children. Okay. Like children, they can be pretty darn fussy. All have right. To be, <laughs> I'm happy, Kevin. They don't eat you for starters. <laughs> but I, I like it that you're going to risk it, Nadia. I'm going to stand back. Yeah, you have to be a bit respectful. <laughs> it depends on the dragon. But if I'm landing on one of those beautiful, shining, wild dragons that you really should be very respectful about. No, this me. guy that you've landed on doesn't look like that. He looks a bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> Worn out. <laughs> he looks like you've dragon napped him. You've been joy dragoning. Yeah. Yeah. He was minding his own business and you've just grabbed him and come over here. So have you made your children do anything scary, Cressida? Have you picked up for your father's habit of subjecting you to danger? Frank, that is such a good question because this is one of the things that's the reason I said the past is another country. They do things differently there. Because I know what that gave to me. I, I know the benefits to me, but I couldn't do that same thing for my own children. Did you manage to do that? I just couldn't do it. Well, no, because actually the scary thing I did as a child, like nobody in their right no. mind would ever. No. Even, well, we lived by a railway line. Oh, my God. I had God. a really good friend called Graham. It's not like, um, it wasn't the East Coast, West Coast main line or anything, but it was the it main was a railway. line to Manchester. <laughs> it, was, it was proper railway, yeah. <laughs> And just by the footbridge, there was a trough beneath the tracks, mm. which I think came from steam days. Yeah, so we used to line that when a train went over oh our heads. Oh, God, <laughs> Frank. Frank, I know. I know, but so how can you... Which is like, what are you but, doing? And when, <laughs> on, my, on my granddad's farm, we used to play... We used to make the most amazing camps at the bottom of the hay bales, right underneath those oh, huge yes. stacks of hay bales. Yeah, yeah. You would make yeah. a camp. It was such fun. So combustible. It was so dangerous. Aww. No, but the camp... You know, the camp... Anyway, so how do you provide that joy... I really don't want to provide anybody with the incredible rush of adrenaline you get when the train goes over your head. Can I just or interrupt here? Yeah. Can I just interrupt here and say, both of you talking about these experiences and saying, how do you let other children experience that? Well, you already do through your yeah. books. Thank yeah. you, Nadia. Thank yeah. you. You know, I say, saying to someone who didn't have that kind of childhood, I had a comfortable, happy, but entirely boring childhood in a cul-de-sac in Telford in the 80s. So it was very different. But what I did have was books, not to be all boringly evangelical about it. And that energy that you had, you do pass that on in your books. And I think that's what I'm still looking yeah. for when I read another children's book. Well, first of all, if I read another children's book and it's any good, I throw it across the room in fury and jealousy <laughs> but then apart but i can't do that on the island of brilliant can i frank you've told me off about no that. that's why we're here so that we don't have to hunt the authors down and yeah. revenge ourselves upon them yeah exactly books. exactly but 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 that but that is what you guys hopefully do i think yeah i think that's what we're all trying to do and i think you know one of the reasons we're doing this is that i think it's become more urgent because i you know everything that you said about protecting children and Losing their bond with nature, Cressida. Yeah, it's like has been massively accelerated by the lockdown, mm. and we've hugely increased their dependence on screens in good ways as well. You know that they wouldn't have been able to associate with each other at all without screens during the lockdowns. They wouldn't have been able to be educated, but they were already quite dependent, and now that dependency has become 
so that they're kind of almost bonded with their screens that you know that we've all sort of become bionic <laughs> so i think the book is a different way of communicating and a different form of concentration you know it's very very absorbing in a way that nobody is really absorbed when they're working on a screen you're constantly flicking between your socials and the work and the news feed and some spotify and all that stuff that everything's sort of going on at once screen is like a fairground yeah. yeah it's like it's everything but the book is like the island a book is like an island and that's why we're on this island which is really a book but i th- i think there are ways onto the island that you really have to be particularly conscious of providing for your child nowadays because of that and so th- the the illustrations can be a real way in an illustrator, that's why I'm very consciously, quite apart from the fact that I'm an illustrator myself, I think it's it's a real way into children who are very visually literate and who yeah. struggle. You know, you know, we're trying to get children to love reading because that's what where all the benefits come from. But how can you love something if it makes you feel stupid <laughs> when you're not stupid at all? You're really, really smart. Yeah. And so this is what we have to overcome for a kid. You know, when I look at the Financial Times, something in my brain turns to off. <laughs> I look at all those lines of kind of print all lined up and I just think that looks really difficult. And I think to myself sometimes that's how a book looks to a perfectly smart kid who's really intelligent, who's used to accessing things via screen. So this is the crucial role for illustrations and audio, I think, in making that link into children understanding that books can be just as exciting and wonderful and it's just a a bridge to get them to that stage of... Because once they've realised, once you've read a book that you genuinely love as a kid, that life-changing book then you go on I remember one of my children (laughs) that book was quite late she was 13 and the book was called anger thongs and perfect snogging oh yeah I know that Louise Renison exactly up until that point the kid had said you know I love my book on my Virgo I love your work she was she was not telling the truth (laughs) you know she didn't really she hadn't found the book that she genuinely Absolutely. And from that moment, everything opened up. It was the same kid who then graduated with a first with English literature from university, you know, but it it started quite late. Yes. Yeah. Like you say, visual literacy is such a huge underserved and underdiscussed area. And I wanted to talk to you about your illustration because quite rightly, people I, I see people ask you about your writing, but I've rarely seen you. Uh, or heard you discuss your drawing and that's clearly something that's very important to you and is innate in kind of all your work and I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. You are quite right it is interesting isn't it how Mm. how little I have been asked about that very very rarely I mean, Nadia, you, in fact, it's a first here on the island of wow. Brilliant. <laughs> but I think that's shocking. That is pretty interesting, isn't it? Yes, I, I don't understand why. It's something about our the value we put on visual arts. But yes, you are here on the island of Brilliant. This is one of the first times I've been out. Yeah. And and the answer is is I it's a very I I use the illustration in the same way that you might use words. So. In my books, they're trying to be, my books are trying to be funny and adventure and 
plotty but not dumbed down. So they're trying to be intelligent. It's trying to get the kid to laugh, to be excited, but to also think all at the same time. And the illustrations are doing the same thing. So some of the illustrations will be like what I call Quentin Blakey illustrations. They're, mm. they're, they serve the purpose of dragging you through the story and saying to the kid, this is child friendly. This is something that you can do. This isn't intimidating. Yeah. And, and they, there's a lot of mark making and dragging you through an emotional drawing. But then yeah. also there's the world building illustrations, which might make you think that the child think that they're in that world. And sometimes you have to dial back in the same way with words, as I'm sure you and Frank will know, sometimes you dial back the humour if you're trying to touch and to move and to really, you know, to make the child think. So everything about a book, even if it seems so easy, you're trying to make it look easy all the time, you're making all of these conscious decisions all of the time about the mark making, yeah. It feels very connect. Your your illustration feels very kinetic, and I was wondering, kind of, are you using pen and ink? Are you using different types of paper? Like, do you just grab whatever's to hand and use that energy, or is it a much more thought out process? Everything is very conscious. So, pencil is used. I use pencil because that's what a child might use, and it's oh. very human. If I try and come to an emotional point, I will take a pencil because that allows me to access an unconscious kind of emotion yeah sometimes you know if I'm wow. writing a touching bit or a, something where I'm trying to move I will use the pencil because <laughs> I find that a more emotional it takes you back to being a child oh I love that because that's what we use when we were children isn't it yeah we use yeah. pencils yeah. and yeah. and if you're trying to write for children sometimes you're wanting to connect with children and remember what it was like to feel like to be like a child Oh, that's a brilliant answer, Cresta. I love that. I think what I love about both of your books is that I remember loving books as a child that I felt the book itself was kind of magic, <laughs> the physical object. So I loved my copy of The Wizard of Earthsea because it had this oh, great map yes. in it. Um, and I loved oh, these yes. Joan Aiken books that Jan Piankowski had illustrated. Oh, and I felt yeah. that they were precious objects. And it's like, you know, if we're talking about kind of finding a distance from screens, books that have... The bookiness of the book, which is b what both of you do we, with Grimwood, there's so many ways that you're telling that story. The text is telling a story, but you've got all these pop-ups where <laughs> characters are sort of shouting out to the text. You know, they're saying, do, do you know what I mean? Well, of course you know it, you, you wrote it. Um, but also in How to Train Your Dragon, that kind of splashy, sometimes it's as though the text has just exploded into pictures and you can't replicate that on a screen. And so the book itself felt like, an object that I'm carrying around, I love this because it's magic. And to this day, if I take down my copy of Kingdom Under the Sea or something, I just have to hold mm -hmm. it and I'm kind of back there. And I think kids growing up will feel that with your books. I do remember my youngest carrying the first How to Train Your Dragon book around with him. Because you couldn't, it wasn't just the words, it wasn't just the story, it was this sort of, the energy in the book itself. The book felt like it was buzzing. I've had that with horror books. Oh, yeah, put yeah, it I away. had to put it away. I had to hide it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When I was yes. a kid, because I was explaining, Cresta, to Frank, that my, my, my reading as a child was quite patchy. I would read all over the place, and there was very little age filter. You know, there'd be the spine of, like, a Stephen King book or a Clive Barker book that I'd be mm. fascinated by mm. and also terrified of Jaws, Peter Benchley. 
I remember picking it up and being like, oh, it's going to eat me. But, that, you know, it's the same quality. It's just maybe slightly age inappropriate. There we go. That explains why I do what I do. And I'm deliberately writing to be read aloud as well, which is another thing. As a parent, the ideal is an adult reading to the kid. So that's a whole different other thing that is also legitimate that you want to say to parents, don't worry if it's audio, but you know, ideally it's you reading aloud to the kid. Yeah, 100%. But don't worry if it's audio because the kid is still getting all the words and it might lead them back to that precious object. It's all good. Yeah. I think the ideal is, you know, a parent or a carer or an older sibling reading Yes. To I think that's unbeatable. And that's who I write for, which is a bit mad because nobody does no, it anymore. They it's do. like writing for an audience. They do, Frank. They do, they do, they do, they do. The books that were read aloud to me, I can still hear them. I can yeah. still hear Miss Danishevsky reading, you know, aloud to me, you know, in year six you know it took a little what was she yeah. reading what do you remember she, what she, she was, was she was reading miss danishevsky was reading me the endless step which took me to siberia you know to a little kid growing up in a in a in a concentration camp in um siberia read to me in miss danishevsky's voice ah, i could feel her her emotional commit connection to the material and i can still hear it in my head i think we you know, as parents or siblings uh, or if it's teachers listening, we really underestimate the power of our voice. Lots of my key reading experiences were listening to teachers read or to Jack and Ori. I still couldn't read Little Knows the Hunter without imitating the writer's voice. <laughs> oh, c- can you do it, Frank? <laughs> Little Knows the Hunter. When it was like he has this sort of very sing-song Scottish voice. And I certainly couldn't read Land of Green Ginger without doing Kenneth Williams. But oh, I had a very. I love ex- the land of green ginger. Did Kenneth Williams? I'm going to search that out. Yeah. I think readers of my re- readers of my vintage it would be uh, Rick Mayle doing George's marvelous medicine. <laughs> George's marvelous medicine, which was. But, but I had this very kind of salutary experience that when my dad my dad had dementia and he was sort of bedridden, and he oh. loved Sherlock Holmes, so I used to play him like Sherlock Holmes stories, and he would sort of sort of respond a little bit. But when I read him a Sherlock Holmes story, I mean, he wasn't following the story, mm. but we were in the same place. Yeah. And we were not often in the same place because he was mostly uh, in Trieste, which is where he'd been in the army, um, wow. <laughs> even though we were sitting in our house. But he, we were temporarily in the same space when I was reading, and that's to do with my voice, which Aww. in those circumstances was better than Benedict Cumberbatch's voice or whoever was reading the... I'm saying in any circumstance, your voice is better than Benedict Cumberbatch's voice, Frank. Well, that's because you've been on the island too long, Nadia. I know, I'm a bit of a hippie. This island is... Oh, whoa, 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 guys, guys, guys. Oh, whoa. There's a shark. Back. Yes, I can Let's see, get away. I can see a shark. Cressida, can you get your dragon to scare that shark off, please? Oh, easily. I mean, sharks are terrified of dragons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you just sort uh, out uh, the shark crisis? Um, have you read Tiger, by the way, by SF Said, which we were chatting about? Have you read oh, it? Oh, yes. Really, really moving. Yes, look, I've got it. I've got it here. Oh, she has. She has <laughs> listeners. Sorry, it's gorgeous, <laughs> It is a gorgeous tiger, tiger, <laughs> burning bright <laughs> in the forests of the night. I mean, doesn't that just... Yeah, incredible. Yeah, Incredible cover. Yes. Well, this would be a great read aloud. When I was reading it, so, I mean, I'm not sure. It's always a tricky one. Sometimes people say, how old 
should this, you know, who's this book for? I mean, I don't know. I, I was reading it thinking this would work great. It would work brilliantly in a classroom setting because there is so much there to unpick. Mm -hmm. And there are so many, you know, all the parallels between things that have happened or mm. are happening in our world. I think what would be great as a classroom as well is that it's very plain. It's very accessible. There isn't anybody who couldn't follow that story. But at the same time, it's so rich that you could talk about it for ages afterwards. Yeah. And I do think there's some very unnerving bits, but maybe reading it in a group yes. is okay it's, then. It's so difficult to tell what children are going to be upset or scared about. Yeah, completely. This is the thing. I mean, I find it very difficult in writing for children because children's really reading ability in this country varies so dramatically. Oh, so I, I find I'm being read by children or read aloud to as young as four. Gosh, as well as year nines are a bit embarrassed to admit it, but they are still. So that's quite yeah. difficult to make things, you know, mm. thrilling. I suppose the way I do it, I never take children to a, a dark place and leave them there. I wouldn't do that. Um, but I think there is something valuable in, I, I mean, it goes back to fairy tales. This is why Grimm's fairy tale, you know, there is something valuable in taking you to somewhere, something scary and showing how you can stand up to it, how you can, mm. you know, challenge it, how you can face your fears and overcome them. For me, that's the responsible thing to be doing. This is G.K. Chesterton, isn't it? G.K. Chesterton said, fairy tales are not there to tell you that dragons are real. They are there to tell you that dragons can be overcome. Oh, that's a wonderful quote, Frank. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And that's what I go to yeah. great literature for. I, you know, I don't want to, when I'm reading, I... I I don't. I want something wise and 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 particularly if I, you know, from a children's book. I want to feel that the adult has digested this material and and is coming with a wise. I mean, I suppose that's why in the How to Train Dragon books, I just try and I try and bookend it with mm. Hiccup as an old man looking back on his own childhood because I'm trying to get the child, you know, the the adult who's reading with the child to look back on their own childhood and remember a time when they believed in dragons and everything, but also I'm trying to get the child to reflect on what's within the book. I mean, that's yeah. that's part of what makes a book so wonderful. One of the many wonderful things about a book is it is a very reflective medium. You know, it's not as bossy as, as a screen. It offers you that space to think about things. It invites yeah. you in. It's a reflection space. Absolutely. Yeah, you can put it down. Mm. Like increasingly, like our children are entertained by things that are frictionless. It's like your next episode starts in five <laughs> seconds, and you need like a massive effort of will to get up and say, "Now I'm going to save that for next week." Whereas a book it kind of invites you to find your own pace. Whereas Netflix is sort of constantly driving you onwards. You know. Can we get Netflix on this island? Just checking. Well. <laughs> I'm joking. Press is looking <laughs> horrified. <laughs> Tressa, to ask you a sensible question. I know that's not what we've been doing. But I w I'm interested to know, first of all, off the top of your head, can you give me a couple of children's books from your life that have just, by other people, that have resonated with you in that magical way that you were talking about earlier? Oh, so many. It's so difficult to, to pick just one. You know, there was, you know, Wizard of Earthsea. Um, the Ogre Downstairs is a huge one for me um, by... Diana Wynne-Jones because oh, yes yeah. I mean I love Diana Wynne-Jones I don't know it I don't know it sadly 
What's it about, please? Can I have a press? Italian Wynne Jones is marvellous anyway, Nadia. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, Howl's Moving Castle. I mean, that yeah. was a great film, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah. Howl's Moving, um, but, you know, Charmed Life, Power of Three. I mean, she's a, a great, great fantasy writer like, like Ursula K. Le Guin. The Ogananda says for me resonates because I absolutely love this book. Uh, it inspired Which Way to Anywhere very much. So it's about um, a blended family, two mm. families who are arguing, who get given a magic chemistry set. And one of the chemicals brings your toys to life. One of them makes you fly. I mean, it was the f- I, I adored this book. It, it made me feel the magic was true. Wizard of Earthsea always... T- took place in another place. Narnia, all of these books I adored, but The Ogre Downstairs was the first book where I felt the magic was really true in, in a way that Five Children and It probably felt like if you were of that generation. But, yes. but because this was set in present day and the magic felt so real. The real thing, it was not only that I adored it, I read it aloud on that little island, which was the Isle of Burke, to my brothers uh, and brother and sister and, and cousins. Because I was in charge of the entertainment section in the, <laughs> in, in the 1970s. The adults just said, oh. you put the eldest kid in charge. And so I read it aloud and it was them saying, that I made them laugh. I made them oh. love the book as much as I did. Oh, I, oh. I made them say, just one more chapter, please, just one more chapter. And that is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. You know, that, that nine-year-old experience of of getting them to love love something as much as I did has lived is is part of I'm still doing that here we are you know 46 oh. years later um so That's it's fantastic so that book is got a special place what what are the special books for you guys that meant so much to you about becoming a writer but also to reading aloud with your kids oh that's an interesting it's one tricky, i it? it's really tricky i, I i'm quite ill read <laughs> so <laughs> We're gonna, we're gonna keep you on the island, Nadia. That's exactly why on the island. That's why she's here. No telly. Close the multiplex. <laughs> I just watched Top Cat for ten years. <laughs> I just... The indisputable leader of the game. Judy, Judy, Judy. The house I grew up in. There were plenty of books in the house I grew up in, but there were not many children's books. Um, it's just how it was. So I, I would go to the library regularly my mum used to go to the library every week yes thank goodness thank goodness for that so I would just dive into the kids section and just eat whatever was there and then go back again next week so I'd read anything and everything but in terms of the books we had at home these aren't children's books but these are PG PG Woodhouse books were all over my house (laughs) oh my god you can see that in Grimwood yeah you definitely can you really can you can see that in Grimwood 100% but yeah that's what I had lying around the house that inspired me what about you Frank I think like my, my most intense reading experiences like that are with my kids rather than as a kid. Reading Just William to my kids. Oh. And then, as you just said, P.G. Woodhouse. And seeing that kind of replayed as them swapping phrases. We made a sound <laughs> like G.K. Chesterton falling on tin. A cat stabbed into the room. <laughs> her, her eyes are stars like God's daisy chain. Was that Madeline Yes. And, yes. and spurred. Yeah. And some of, the, just some of the names, like Cat's Meat Potter Perbright. Oh, Gussie Finknuttle. Ca- Gussie Finknuttle and the, <laughs> the, the Cow Creamer. And, oh. His plots are just 
glorious. They are glorious, but they're also sort of nonsense. And I very much have got that for Drumwood. But also like sense of like, it's really hard work to make something look as light as that. It is like conjuring. Yes. Yeah. You know, that you, which you, in which you make something very complicated look very easy. And I don't think anybody ever worked quite as hard as P.G. Woodhouse in just getting a sentence to ring like a bullet <laughs> on a bell, you know? So Cressida, I, I can't help but notice that your dragon is getting a trifle restless. I don't want to anger him or her. So, but before you fly off, I can't help but notice you have some books with you. Are, are you leaving those behind for us? To read, possibly? Yeah, I'm gonna leave it, yeah, just in case, in case you have a small kid who wanders, you know, uh, jacket, life jacketless across to the <laughs> island in a dinghy. I'm gonna leave, you know, Dapo Adiola and um, uh, Nathan's Brian, uh, Brian's wonderful, you know, rocket books. Because oh my goodness, they might want to go to that. I love Aww. that girl hero, and they are fab. We'll have them. We'll have them, please. I- I'm I'm jealous that I won't be able to spend any more time on the brilliant island. You're going to have we, just come back. We're just come back. So, yeah, we're we're doomed yeah. for eternity. <laughs> so just next yeah. time you've got you know next time you've got another pile of books, just please come back. Nadia broke our boat, so oh, we can't go. She smashed, she smashed it. it. Okay, so I am now. Can I? This is my moment. I am now going to mount <laughs> the dragon. <laughs> Do you need? Do you need help? Do you need a step ladder? <laughs> no, of course not. I gave it in one impressive leap. I gave wow. it. I leap Whoa. onto the dragon. Oh my word! I am yeah. riding bareback. May I just say, <laughs> I am riding wow. bareback on the dragon, and um, and it is going to be a very impressive exit. Yeah, I, I'm going to. I don't know what to say. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting this when I woke up on Brilliant Island this morning. And here we are. Cress is on the back I, of a massive dragon. I shall circle the island three times, <laughs> waving yep. from the top of the dragon. Aww. Yeah. And thank you. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, we told you everything was brilliant on Brilliant Island. What a brilliant exit. Wasn't Cressida brilliant? She was a brilliant first guest for Brilliant Island, wasn't she? Absolutely. She's just the most brilliant of brilliant. Now I can hear the dulcet sounds of the ukulele off trio wafting down the shoreline, Frank. You know what that means, don't you? It can only mean one thing. It's Brilliant Island cocktail hour. Yes, I was hoping you'd say that. Um, I'm just going to fill up these coconut shells with um, some margaritas that I've just knocked up underneath this palm tree. Excellent. And why don't we go and um, have a little boogie, Frank? Let's, let's go and have a boogie. Boogie on, everybody. Be brilliant. been listening to the island of brilliant with frank potrell boyce and nadia shireen huge thanks to emily drabble from book trust and creditor cowell as well as the ukulele of trio for the music and special thanks to producer jeff bird who is totally totally brilliant <laughs>